Hello, I'm Rob. And I'm unemployed. And lo, did the masses cower and shriek from the dread coronavirus. Laying low in their hovels of sticks and dung, the fans of Doctor Who who sought comfort from Series 12. But instead of entertainment, it navel-gazed so hard it gave itself a hernia and thus provided no comfort at all. Then did fans turn to that prophet of the wind and blue touch paper, the Indiana of Wigan. And lo, though he spoke many, 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 oh god, so many words, they were of a salad variety, and spaghetti mass of maybe, and sort of, and oh happy days are here again, fandom wept. For who would save them from the Doctor Who lockdown hashtag and the endless tweet-alongs? Seriously, RTD and Moffat should just get a room, no? And then finally, did the massed hordes of Doctor Who fandom see the rosy glow of freedom on the horizon? They wept and hugged each other and realised they had spread the coronavirus even more. But they were not saddened or without hope because, yay and verily yay, rising from the ashes of our locked down civilization finally and at last, the Omnitwats are back. It is the 42 to Doomsday Podcast. gangsters we are back back we are sitting uh, in our separate isolation suites at the opposite end of town aren't we rob we certainly are i am uh, we're i'm in in a spare room as i said uh, on our christmas uh, celebration uh, we've moved house and uh, i'm in the spare room there's a there's a light fitting uh, just hanging above me that's in the shape of a helicopter uh, so obviously the previous people their grandkids must have stayed here or they probably had some sort of torture dungeon for children i'm not entirely sure <laughs> But uh, yes, uh, we're ripping and raring to go, Mark. I know everyone out there is cowering in their homes. I don't know why people aren't doing what they're doing in America and protesting <laughs> at the front of their local representatives' offices as they gently cough on each other. But uh, we're not doing that, Mark, are we? All the Republicans are protesting outside Democrats' offices, uh, governor offices, aren't they? Uh, something like that, yes. Donald is inciting uh, Bellion, isn't he, really? From the comfort of his own White House. Benedict Arnold of American politics. He's certainly not Benedict Cumberbatch, is he? <laughs> So what have you been doing, Mark, in these very trying times? Well, as I mentioned before, my job in the aviation uh, industry has uh, been uh, put into hiatus for the moment. So I am currently uh, doing a bit of weeding at home, uh, tidying up my garden a bit, watching slightly a little bit of Doctor Who, but more getting into, say, uh, the Tiger King and uh, South Park reruns and reading uh, books. Netflix, Matt. You're all into Netflix. Netflix and chill, apparently. That's what the youngies are calling it. So uh, I've been doing a bit of that. So I have been looking for the occasional job, but uh, not looking good at the moment, but I'm sure things will turn around. But uh, for the moment, I'm just taking advantage of it, I suppose, and uh, doing a few things around the house. And what about yourself? I actually work for what's uh, quaintly uh, termed a, an essential service, though I don't man a hose or police an intersection or spy on our international um, competitors. No, I, I work uh, in, in what is an essential service. So I'm, I'm at work. My wife, we both work for the same organisation. She's been working from home, uh, but I'm happy to tootle into work and, uh, and work from there. Uh, so nothing's really changed for me except that there's an absolute truckload of overtime at the moment. And um, whilst the, uh, the sun is shining, I will make as much hay as possible so for me uh, I'm not you know locked down or anything like that I mean I just get up and go to work and then come home 
but it's all all guns blazing here for me. So I haven't watched as much Netflix. I've certainly haven't chilled as much as I'd very much like to. Um, and uh, yeah, I just just it's 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 basically normal for me. Obviously, you know, you keep your social distance and all that sort of thing. And and uh, I've I've used so much hand sanitizer at work, it's unbelievable. So I sit next to my boss, and she's got a, a thing of hand sanitizer. And every time I get up, I just you know squirt a bit on, and just you know you rub your hands, and it's just that sort of sort of wet slapping noise that <laughs> brings to mind. This is going too far, Rob. Certain nineteen seventies movies, but anyway. <laughs> and one organisation has has actually given people free premium access. So I'm sure that sound effect will be used. Uh, commonplace uh, at the moment. Yes, I'm sure Pornhub is just blowing up the charts. Literally and figuratively. So what else has been happening, Mark, in the world of Doctor Who? Because since Series 12 gutted to a disappointing end, uh, uh, there's, there's been some small news that we can uh, chat about. You just brought up the uh, the elephants in the room, haven't you, really? There was Series 12. Now, Ooh. I'm going to change my T-shirt because remember how I said I haven't part- watched anything past Rosa? Yes. Well, I watched four episodes of Series 12. Oh, that's very good, Mark. Yes. So what did you think, Rob? What did I think of <laughs> Series 12? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I probably watched the same amount. I may have watched a few more episodes, I thought that it was a definite step up from the previous year, uh, or the previous series at least. I thought that there was a more a sense of where Chibnall wanted to take not only the series but also uh, the Doctor, the character of the Doctor. Um, now, uh, Ian, I thought that the, the, show, the episodes that I saw, you know, Spyfall, uh, the opening uh, episode, was, was very, very good, I thought. Uh, and there was a number of episodes that I saw during the, uh, during the run. Uh, the one set in the villa which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. That was really good. I thought that was a good, scary uh, episode. Uh, I liked the previous, the, the, the second last episode of the series, but I think the elephant in the room, Mark, is the last episode of the season, which effectively uh, ripped Doctor Who established canon to, to pieces and then trod on it and then threw it to the wind. Well, what do you think about all that? I think you're being very polite about what happened to the canon. It was uh, defiled, I think, wasn't it really? What was it called? The Timeless Child? I renamed it The Useless Bile. <laughs> it was just awful. I'll give you some praise. I thought production values look very nice. Mm. But I just thought it was just awful. The, the master was terrible. Anyway, I've seen the actor in uh, Iron Fist too. Mm. Well, Iron Fist, he played a much more convincing uh, villain. But uh, unfortunately, he's just taken a bit of the John Sim medicine there and just... Um, Dialed it up to 11? Yeah, it was a shame, but just just made no sense. Has Chibnall been wanting to do that story since he was a teenager? Is that right? If that's true, and he's held on to that for the last 30 years, uh, that's a, a monomaniacal vision that uh, you know is impervious to common sense and, and good logic. Look, I didn't mind the last episode. I thought, well... It's not. It wasn't a great episode. It wasn't a terrible episode. I think that if you've got Sasha Dewan there, I don't know that you need to have him expositing for the entirety of the episode, telling the Doctor, you know, her, her secret history. Um, the the canon thing. Look, if I was being charitable, if I was a Doctor Who fan and I was watching, you know, the War Games, the change that that imposes on the series is of a magnitude that you can compare it with the Timeless. A child, if you're watching the Deadly Assassin and what that that does to the, the to the Time Lords, that's sort of a similar thing. Um, so there there is stuff that has occurred through the show's history that has had a similar impact in terms of rewriting what we understand about the Doctor and all that sort of thing. I thought that if you are going to do that sort of thing, you well, I, I just question the value of actually doing it and making it the focus of an entire episode because where's mm. the action where's the adventure where's the fun where's the sense of 
you know that you're you're, you're watching something you know uh, just just fun really and accessible yeah if you're spending 55 minutes mm. rewriting what we know to be the doctor's history and the the history of the, of the time lords effectively is that what you want to do with your 55 minutes or 50 minutes no do you not no. want to entertain your viewers do you, why have a massive info dump why go to all that effort why not leave the sense of mystery as it is i mean you've got you know the 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 uh, the earlier the episode earlier in the season where we've got that sort of earlier version of the doctor why not just leave it at that and have that as a mystery what does that all mean and have people scratching their heads instead of dumping spending 50 odd minutes just you know wasting an episode and just fanglazing yeah this is terrible you know doing that it just yeah i i just question the value you've, you've spent you know a couple of million pounds you've got all these actors in um, you've got a nice setup from the previous uh, episode, and then you 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 wasted it. it. It's 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 like it's script writing malpractice, really, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, I don't have a bone to pick against Chibnall himself. It's just that if someone asked me for a review of the episode, I think that it was a massively wasted opportunity uh, to do that. And does it really mean anything anyway? It's 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 designed so that you can you know. If you turn away from it, you can safely ignore it, and then you know the next script uh, writer or showrunner will come along and either ignore it wholly or, or change yeah. it. And so, what does that mean? What, what was the point of doing it in the end? Like exactly, you know, Moffat started tweaking with it with the introduction of the War Doctor and and everything like that. Why do writers like that think that people give a damn about the Doctor's backstory? I don't know. Why would the average viewer give a toss about where the Doctor comes from? Aren't they aren't they tuning in for a bit of action, a bit of humour, a few scares, an escapist evening in front of the television, and not to be drowned in a tide of Fanglaze. just continuity? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I know, yeah. it, It's just unbelievable. Yeah. What, you know, you you are a flagship program on one of the premier broadcasters in the world, and this is what you serve up. Come on, you know, you've got a limited time in the job. Make the most of it. Don't just fork out nonsense like this. And then Sarah Sanders Huckabee comes out and issues a press statement after it. Apologize, well, not apologising for it. Just the showrunners had the direction of the series and this is where we want it to go, blah, blah, blah. This is, the BBC did this twice this year and that is a sign of weakness. Absolutely. Why would you respond to a, to, frankly, to a bunch of losers in the darker corners of the internet mm who think that they, they, they're engorging their nether regions by getting on YouTube and telling the world exactly how much they hate women, how much they hate minorities, and how much they hate people they regard as enablers of those two. Those people who have their little YouTube channels, they have their little podcasts where they talk a whole lot of shit about how Chibnall is destroying the show, are a bunch of assholes who should have their internet connections taken off them, stuck in a box, stick that in a chest, wrap it in chains and throw it like a bag of unwanted kittens into a river they are degenerate fools who do not deserve the time or the oxygen that people are giving them and a disclaimer here rob is not talking about me or him <laughs> but i have seen some people on youtube crying over the destruction of the cannon in their own eyes and i thought yeah look oh look i was angry about it and now i'll just choose to ignore it and in fact you know i'll probably never watch <laughs> i know i keep saying it every year but i'm certainly not going to watch uh, next year, I mean, uh, Bradley Walsh is uh, again this the uh, the standout for me as usual. But um, mm. Jodie Whittaker really, I think the the wig that Sylvester McCoy wore in Tom and the Rani has more gravitas than her Doctor. To be honest, I just think she's terrible. I just can't watch it. 
I just don't get anything from it. She just appears to be a bundle of nervous reactions or or responses or quips. I mean, people say that she's sort of a female tenant, uh, ten- tenant, and I think, well, Boy. that's not too far from the mark. Mm. And then I think, well, David Tennant was a really big fan of Tom Baker, and people say that he sort of he bases his he based his performance on Baker. I've watched some early Baker. There's nothing. There, there's no link between the two, uh, two performances at all. I, I don't. Look, I know Tennant's role was when the new series would add at its height of popularity and people people like that, but I don't... Whereas I think they're prepared to forgive a... Mm, I don't know whether I should go down here. I think they might be prepared to forgive a male actor for acting in that way, mm. for bringing that portrayal. They're not... You know, it, it female actors have enough difficulty uh, being taken seriously, I think, in some leading roles. And if you are... If you're giving a performance where you're... Um, you know, you're quipping all the time. You're gurning. You're, you know, you 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 you're going from serious to, to to funny to serious to funny, and you're not giving any sort of through line in the performance. I think people are less likely to forgive, g- forgive mm. and give you the, the the marks that they might give a similar performance performance given by a male. Mm. Look, I don't know. That could be the Jim Beam talking. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but anyway. Is Jim Beam the next Doctor? Yes, roll out the barrel and. Uh, <laughs> The new next Doctor. Where does where does the series go from there? Well, where does the series go from here, Mark? Because I don't think Chibnall is going to uh, re- reflect or look back at you know what he revealed in the last episode. I'm actually quite interested to see how um, uh, the Doctor and Yaz as a travelling duo go. It'll be two females in the TARDIS, which we've never seen before, and I think that's quite exciting. Actually, I think um, it will give the character of Yaz and the actress whose name escapes me thanks to the alcohol, the opportunity to expand. I think she's been hemmed in by the two other male companions. So, look, we've got to get past um, the end-of-the-year episode uh, where um, Ryan and, and and Graham are in it. But I think after that, I think it's a great opportunity for, for, for Chibnall and the new writers to explore that dynamic because we haven't seen it before. What do you think, Mark? Okay, let's move on to the next uh, news item, shall we? Oh. <laughs> and, what is the, and what is the next news item, Mark? Speaking of fan glaze... And, uh, oh, God. and everything else. Now, Mr. Chibnall, uh, we would assume, has won the Fan Wank of the Year Award and maybe for the next 30 years. However, however, however Big Finish, the great bastion of uh, Fan Wank, has uh, this weekend revealed that the Return of the Cybermen Season 12 story is uh, being re-recorded with Tom Baker, of course, playing the uh, fourth Doctor. I was just going to say, Mark, can we award Big Finish the Big Finish... Uh, fan wank of the year award perpetual trophy because every time we assemble at Dave's place <laughs> Big Fit is just you know they, they just pat out you know one two and three of the nominations it's very it's very hard to not to avoid them. <laughs> I think maybe this year we should set ourselves a challenge and try and only do one nomination to Big Finish between the four of us. And <laughs> maybe a way to go. Yeah, and see how quick that uh, segment disintegrates into a pile of. Uh... Carry on, please describe what is it? What is uh, what is the episode called or the story? Return of the Sidemen, which was written by yes. Jerry Davis before uh, Mister S- Mister Holmes got uh, got his uh, red marker out. But it's been announced that there's another actor taking on the mantle of uh, Harry Sullivan, whose name escapes me. Sadie Miller is taking on the role of Sarah Jane Smith. Yes. I think we've we've broached this a while ago, a, a number of times, saying that the only way they Big Finish could legitimise this is by having a family member take on mm. the role, just like they have done with Caroline John's daughter playing uh, Liz Shaw now. They've uh, turned it up to 11 and uh, done this bit of casting here. So what do you think about this, Rob? I have to be careful with what I say because, as it turns out, Sadie is a stable mate of mine with uh, Candy Jar. She wrote a, an, a Lethbridge Stewart book um, a couple of years ago. 
Um, so that given, God, I like this at all. I think um, I can't say it's disrespectful because uh, you've got Sadie uh, agreeing to play the role that her mother made her own. But on the other hand, um, and I can agree that you know she would want to safeguard that by taking it on herself. So that's fair enough. I just think that it's just a little bit unsettling. It's not unsavory, but it just it doesn't doesn't I don't feel good about it about recasting dead actors um, and giving you know getting actors to give a sort of performance. It's it's just no no I'm not you know every every actor has to has to put food on the table and if you're presented that opportunity uh, you're gonna go yes I need work I want work that's fine that's perfectly fine. I just question the judgment of Big Finish in wanting to do that in the first place. I think it's, um, I won't say it's disrespectful, I just feel very uncomfortable about it. Um, you know, when an actor dies, an actor dies. That's just the way it is. And to, I don't know, resurrect the character and, and, and say that you're the replacement Ian Marta or you're the replacement Sarah, um, Liz Sladen or you're the replacement John Pertwee, I, I, it doesn't, I, I don't like it. I feel very uncomfortable about the whole idea. They're very big shoes to fill. It's never sat mm. right with me, to be honest. I mean, you get to the point now where you got the third Doctor adventures with, you know, mm. Tim Trelaw, Daisy, John Culshaw being the Brigadier, Liz Shaw and the third Doctor. Well, there's nobody there from that era. They're all recast, you know what I mean? So it's like the whole broom handle analogy. Is it still yeah. the same broom? You keep replacing their heads of the broom. Is it still the same broom? Uh, obviously not. But look, it's Big Finish's yep. business model. I remember a few years ago asking that very question. What What is Big Finish going to do? All these people who play the Doctor have passed away. Well, this is the answer. You're going to be replaced by someone who um, is a convincing mimic. Exactly. John Colshaw will take over Tom Baker. Yep. Peter Davison's acting sons will take over the role. Yep. I don't know about Colin and, and the others, but uh, it'll just keep going. That's exactly right. I mean, the Companion Chronicles, I think, when they had uh, stories written for particular doctors who had passed away or weren't able to, you know, turn up, so like Tom Baker before he came back to or came to Big Finish, that was a reasonable, you know, a middle yeah. ground. Um, you know, someone associated with that era was reading a story that the, the character appeared in. Uh, that's fine, but. This, yeah, like I said before, and I don't want to labour the point, obviously, I, 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 I feel very uncomfortable about it. Uh, it's Big Finish's decision to go down this way, and it's the actor's decision to take on the role, so that's fine. Do what you want, but don't be surprised if people are uncomfortable with it. I have watched over my uh, little uh, hiatus, uh, Rob, the, the Faceless Ones animation. Oh, Mark. I know we haven't been too kind about these uh, in the past. However, I must admit with the Faceless Ones, I actually thought it worked quite well. Please tell me why, Mark, because I have not purchased a copy yet. If I compare it to the Macro Terror, Faceless Ones is a much better story. It also helps that two episodes of the original uh, production still exist, so you can sort of break up the animation uh, with that. But I actually think the animation works better in a contemporary setting, mm-hmm. uh, like the faceless ones obviously is set in, them trying to do the futuristic ones. Look, in episode six, some of the fight scenes are very... Look, they still are uh, in the style of South Park, <laughs> except without uh, Kenny and uh, Cartman. But uh, I actually thought this this production is probably the, being the best one that they've done. I was actually being a bit non-canon and watched the colour version. How dare you? I really enjoyed it. I've just seen a bit more time was taken on it, and uh, this might shock you, Rob. I'm actually looking forward to seeing what they do with the 
uh, Fury from the Deep. Get out of here, Mark. You are a disgrace. That's what happens when unemployment comes a calling. <laughs> <laughs> Desperation takes over. Look, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, Mark, because um, do we know if this uh, the, the production team on this uh, worked on previous ones? Were they the ones who worked on the Macro Terror? I think one or two of them might. I, I must admit, I haven't yeah. watched the making of yet, but... Um Okay, so it's no surprise then, I suppose, that that, that as you uh, as a team of animators uh, builds experience, that the animation, um, the feel of the animation, you know, becomes you know a, a better viewing experience, more confident. Uh, there's a certain amount of not realism is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's it's less Captain Pugwash and more um, Captain Kremen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't we love Captain Kramer? So yeah, that's I'm glad that that's that's the case. I mean, you'd obviously far prefer uh, the real thing, um, but you know, I suppose this is a, a middle ground that we can sort of we can live with. We can live with. Are you going to watch it, Rob? Uh, yeah, I'll eventually pick it up. I'll um, I do have a JB voucher from Christmas, but I was hoping to save that for the season fourteen uh, Blu-ray box set. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll see which way I jump. Uh, have to be season fourteen, surely, Mark. Yes, yes. Look, Talons of Wang Chiang in high def. You can see the uh, the yellow face in uh, in intricate detail. Hey, at the Christmas episode, I came up with some uh, social justice Doctor Who fans jokes. Yes. I actually had the time while I've been gardening to think of some more. Do you want to hear them? Uh, you've been smelling the fertiliser, haven't you, mate? <laughs> it's that blood and bone again. <laughs> All right, come on. Let's, let's, let's get this out of the way. Let's do it. What do you get when you cross a social justice Doctor Who fan with a zombie? What do you get when you cross a social justice Doctor Who fan with a zombie, Mark? The Woking Dead. Uh, <laughs> Mark, I'd say don't give up your day job, but you don't have one, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. Yeah, you keep kicking that boot in. Thank you. <laughs> Here's another one. Give us another one. Give us okay, another one. Are you ready? Uh, yes. What is a social justice warrior Doctor Who fan's favourite song? Uh, what is a social justice warrior Doctor Who fan's favourite song, Mark? Woke me up before you go, go. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I don't know, honestly. It's been a long week. <laughs> Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> And also, uh, I noticed last week, there's a YouTube uh, video, well, sort of mini convention slash mini uh, discussion with Phil Morris and uh, someone from Phantom Films uh, about, uh, you know, the the search for missing episodes and a bit of the story into uh, The Web of Fear and Enemy of the World because we're having a tweet along, weren't they, about Enemy of the World? Yes. Now, Rob, I know you are a purveyor and a... uh... I'm a bather, Mark. I strip down to my underpants and... I dip my entire body into the Omni Rumor. It's the Omni Rumor Spa, isn't it? Really? <laughs> unfortunately, it's, it's closed due to Corona. <laughs> At the moment, it is a fitted swamp of uh, <laughs> look marsh gas and uh, marsh men, basically. Keep it Doctor Who related. What did you think, Rob? What did I think, Mark? I thought that hmm. it's always interesting to hear Phil talk. Uh, I would have liked to have him to have put his laptop at the level of his face instead of right up his nose. That's a common complaint these days where you see uh, broadcasters interviewing people and they haven't quite positioned their laptop correctly. Um, look, what, what did I think? I thought that you are never going to be in a position where you, uh, an interviewer is going to be able to ask Phil Morris the questions that everyone who's actually followed this wants answered. So hmm. this was the fluffiest of fluff pieces, okay? No one should have gone in expecting this is going to be a hard-edged uh, interview that would elicit the sort of answers that we have been asking for the last 10 years. Okay, so we should that, that should have been got out of the way in the, 
uh, in the first instance. That said, it is a massive missed opportunity that Phil Morris engages in this way. Okay, because all this does, well, it does a couple of things. It infuriates those people who care. It causes those people who used to care and don't anymore just to shrug their shoulders even harder. What does he think he's doing when he's engaged in this? I mean, I made reference to this in my rant at the beginning. Some of his answers are just words strung together. They could have been any words plucked out of the dictionary and thrown again at random. They don't mean anything. They lead nowhere. They give no indication at all of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he intends to do. And that is deliberate. That is definitely deliberate, okay? Because he doesn't want people to know, to burrow in to what he's done and what he's doing. That's a deliberate tactic of his. Fair play to him. I'm sure that, you know, over the course, as people understood that there was a fellow out there looking for Doctor Who episodes, they wanted to know and they dug into his business and et cetera, et cetera. And who, who wants that in their life? So fair enough. But Phil can't expect to go onto these sort of things and expect people to fall down in awe and worship him if he does not give us any answers. And then to throw out, to one-up uh, Paul Venezes when he was on Radio Free Scaro 18 months ago, where he said he's certain that there is a collector out there with two Hartnell episodes, mm. then to come on and say, well, you know what? I know uh, of, of collector or collectors who have six episodes and then not to go into any detail whatsoever about them. Has he seen them? Are they in the UK? Are they Troughton or Hartnell or a mixture of both? Can he comment on the quality of them? Is, is he engaging with the collectors? Is there an intent or a plan to get them back to the BBC? None of that. That's the fault of the interviewer. It's just really frustrating. I don't know why Phil thinks this is a good way to go other than he's throwing crumbs to fans to placate them, to leave him alone so he can get on with his business or get on with his life. This is my call out to Phil. Phil Morris. If you do not have any other missing episodes of Doctor Who, just tell us. If you don't have them in your possession, just tell us. If you think you know where they are, just tell us. All right? Because it has gone on for too long. It is now to the point where you are a laughing stock in fandom for those who give us stuff. You go to the forums and they just go, oh, Phil Morris has just had an interview last week and I really don't give a stuff what he said because it's the same old nonsense. All right? I understand Phil has been, you know, followed around and all that sort of thing and people have dug into his life and that's unfortunate. And if I was in the same boat, I'd be as upset and annoyed as he possibly is. And his bins, apparently. And his bins, apparently. But why is there this incessant need not to answer questions, not to provide us with anything? You've been doing this since, what is it, Mark, 2005? (laughs) Something like that. He found these episodes, Enemy and Web, in about 2011, and they were returned in roughly in 2013, okay? It is now Mm. 2020. It's almost seven years since he returned those episodes, all right? People have been really patient. But what is the point of dragging it out so long? Give us, please, answers. That's all I have to say. I'll agree with you. The interview was as soft as soap, Rob. The the six episodes that uh, that he did sort of dangle in front of us, uh, are they six separate to the Venezes two that um, that was mentioned a while ago, mm-hmm. or are they six that he's found? When he did mention the six, I thought I saw him sort of turn around to a shelving stuck behind <laughs> him and look, <laughs> and sort of giving a knowing wink over there. Yeah. I don't. Maybe that was just me reading too much into it. But uh, look, you're going to have the people who uh, 
he just are happy to listen to what Phil says, who don't go on forums and, and just, just are grateful for what they've received so far. You said to me late last year, when we went to dinner that time, and uh, you, you took my hand and said, Mark, I think next year... It's, it's a very soft hand, Mark. Has it got, gotten hard and callous now that you've been in the garden? The first time I've actually done some serious work in years. We looked at, into each other's eyes, Rob, and I said to you, Rob, is 2020 the year that you officially stop caring? And obviously... I care. What I was saying it towards the end of the year is that if... And the end of 2019 was an arbitrary obviously, uh, date, of course. But if nothing come by the end of 2019, I would have to tend to believe that he has nothing else to announce. That's as simply as that. So... At this point, I don't believe that Phil Morris has any more episodes. I mean, I asked those questions before, mm. but it was, so it would be nice to know for sure. But I don't believe that he has any more episodes of uh, uh, missing episodes of Doctor Who. He may have missing episodes of other series. That's fair enough. But if he has, I think he's grabbed them from collectors. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything else that he's found out there in the world outside Britain. Mm. That's that's my belief based simply on it's been such a long time. So if he's going to be announcing any future missing episodes of any TV show at all, it'll be episodes that he has winkled out of uh, out of collectors. And if he does, great. If he doesn't, well, I mean, it, it, this is the thing. If Phil doesn't have any more episodes of anything, well, that's fine, Phil. I mean, no one's going to hold it against you. Just tell us. That's this is that. That's all. And then we can go. All right. Well, you know, you fa- you did a great thing for fandom. Everyone will remember your name. You found these missing episodes from the Troughton era and we love them and we still praise you for finding them. But as for the rest of it, just tell us, Christ. Before the world really falls apart. <laughs> what is that about misery? That's right. Imagine if the coronavirus's mortality rate was actually 20% instead of 1%, you know? Then we'd really want to know. There's been tens of thousands of deaths all around the world and for most of us... Mm. Uh, these these people are people we don't know. They're you know from our perspective, they're anonymous deaths, but clearly not to the people who love them and and and, uh, and are mourning them at the moment. Um, but of course, in the public sphere, no bigger name, especially for I suppose me and you, Mark, considering that alongside Doctor Who, the goodies was uh, was tea time viewing for us for for in and out, in and out, endlessly for in the late seventies and early eighties. And of course, as we discovered last week, Tim Brooke Taylor passed away due to complications relating to the coronavirus, to COVID-19. I think we can spare a few minutes uh, for Tim because he had a massive impact on uh, on our lives. The Goodies was just one of those um, one of those TV series that, you know, you could watch again and again and again and, and, and enjoy and love and appreciate. And he was an integral part of it, wasn't he, Mark? Quite devastating, wasn't it, when the uh, when the news came through? You think these people are immortal and um, mm. that hit home. And it hits home, Mark, because I think um, when you're a child and you have... You look up. I don't know about looking up, but you 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 latch onto these tel- characters on television, and they're they're a daily part of your life, and mm. they bring you pleasure, they bring you uh, laughter, and and it's just happiness. And then you know, forty years later, you discover that they've passed away in in such unfortunate circumstances. Um, and you know, and they say, you know, people who have been ventilated um, and they're in hospital, they can't have any visitors, so they effectively die alone. And it's just when when you when you when you grasp that concept. You know, I've been in the room when I've had grandparents who've passed away. At least they're surrounded by family members. But in this instance, there are people who are dying alone in hospitals surrounded by strangers, well-intentioned strangers who are, you know, working frantically to save their lives. But someone like Tim, who was in our living rooms, you know, on our televisions, who'd come out to Australia and entertained people 10 or 15 years ago and was such an integral figure, mm. to see them, to know that they, they went in in such a manner, it's, it, really, it really tears at you, really. It just tears at you. 
it'll never be the same, unfortunately. They got together last year and they recorded uh, a radio play uh, uh, together and you thought, well, maybe they could come back and do more of those. Yeah. You know, and it's, now it's just impossible. It's just the two of them. Yeah. Uh, it's just Graham and Bill. And death is an inevitability, uh, but you put it off and you put it off thinking about it um, and it comes to everyone. But just to see something like this happen, it's just it, it's just sad. It's just sad. It's like that line, you know, from the Five Doctors, which is becoming more and more apt as we get older. Mm. You know, chunks of my past uh, detaching themselves like uh, melting icebergs. What you can take away is the impact that uh, Tim and Graham and Bill had on the lives of a generation. I mean, the, the, the ad port, I was looking at Twitter when the news came out. Mm. And the top five trending items in Twitter in Australia were all related to Tim Brooke Taylor or the goodies. And that went on for most of, over a day. Yeah. And it just speaks to the fact. And this is why the ABC is such a great cultural institution that we should cherish and mm. work to maintain. It just, it's a measure of the impact of the goodies on a generation or two generation of kids that now that we've got the people who are professionals in the field of media, you know, who are, who are singing his praises, who are talking about him openly. It was a news item on the ABC News on the night that it was, a, on the day it was announced. The show, which was, disregarded by the BBC, not respected, no no repeats, no nothing like that. It got a, you know, a DVD release from a third party, for God's sake, where the BBC just couldn't... Couldn't be asked. No respect from them, but in Australia, universally loved, universally yeah. cherished. And a lot of that was down, well, 33 and a third percent was down to Tim Brooke Taylor. Yeah. So, Vale, Tim, you'll be missed, but you'll your memory will be cherished for as long as people watch the goodies. A couple of days ago, I sat down and... Uh, got out the DVD box set and I put on uh, Kung Fu Capers. And I sat down with my son to watch it. He's never seen it before. And I just said, just sit down and watch this for half an hour. Anyway, I started watching it with him. And at the end of it, you know, it was an awkward pause. And I said, what do you think about that? And he says, I liked it. So we'll start watching it a bit more. So the goodies branches generations. It's um, very, very sad. First single I ever bought was a Funky Gibbon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure our colleagues and friends on the Goodies Pirate podcast will do a uh, in-depth uh, TBT special very, very shortly as well. And we look forward to listening to it. One thing, I, I think you move me. But I want to know for sure. Come on, hold me tight. Oh. Yes, you move me. I'm moved. Doctor Who isn't on the air at the moment. We thought we'd power out the time machine again, drag ourselves back through the archives. <laughs> now, Rob, we got up to, on one of our very last episodes, April 1990, so I thought we'd just keep on going through 1990. I was just sort of saying to you before, Rob, when I was going through the DWBs and pulling a lot of this information out, primarily it's all about video schedules, book schedules, and this person this week is looking at bringing the show back. Mm. And that was going on for every bloody issue. So let's start with a bit of good news from May 1990, nearly 30 years ago, when I was employed. <laughs> DWB uh, issue number 77 says Dalek Photo Discovery. And there's a nice colour picture of a Power of the Dalek there. And it says Power of the Daleks is a toast of this latest special issue of DWB. The discovery of the 50 or so stunning colour photographs from the vintage 60s Doctor Who adventure marks a climax of many years of painstaking effort on the part of Dalek fan Dave Baston, who eventually tracked them down to a remote photo library in rural Josh. Oh, sorry, Kent. Uh, DWB has purchased 
the rights to many of these stills for reproduction to enable readers to have access to this unique documentation of the much-loved Patrick Troughton's debut story. Indeed, it is a credit to Dave Baston that this discovery was not reserved for some private collection but immediately made public for all to share, unlike several selfish individuals who continue to hoard what is, in the eyes of fans, priceless material, which it seems we will never be able to see. A lot of good news in there, but also a typical DWB, a bit of a kick there to the people hoarding valuable photographic evidence of missing episodes. A name immediately springs to mind that I have heard around the traps as to an individual, and I certainly will not name that individual because I'd like to keep my house and not have it taken away by the lawyers. Does it rhyme with a van? Uh, I have no <laughs> comment to share with anyone about anything outside this room, Mark. So, look, I mean, I remember picking this issue up. I um, This issue uh, is actually almost 30 years old. Uh, we're, we're about a month away from when it was released or the cover date on it. And I was, I'd started my first year at university, and instead of going to lectures, uh, I found myself tootling down to the Chapel Street Bazaar in, um, well, Chapel Street, and uh, and I found this particular issue, along with a number of other DWBs, for the princely sum of $5 uh, in one of the little stalls there. This was a really great issue, if only for the photos. Obviously, with the uh, L'Officiere books, you, you knew that there was a story called Power of the Daleks, but I don't think I'd seen any imagery from it at all. And this was just fascinating stuff, just fa- and especially to see it in color. You could see the sort of the, the the color palette that had been chosen. It was sort of more a lot of, a lot of blues and a lot of grays. So, I mean, probably that was the way that color you know photography was done back then. Or, um, but yeah, no, it's it's a great issue. It's a fantastic issue. And um, do we know if it's available other than you know back copies? Is it is there other photos on the internet, mate, for people to view? I'll be honest with you, I'm not too sure. Maybe they were included in the. Uh the DVD of uh, Power that was released a few years ago. I'm not too sure, to be honest. It would be worthwhile having actually go- going to have a look because I'd imagine that the, there would be a worthwhile um, you know, addition to the to the DVD or the Blu-ray. But, um, yeah, what do you think of the issue, Mark, with well, especially all these photos? It was chunky, wasn't it? Yeah. Lots of interesting stuff in there, especially the letters pages, which we'll get to later on. It's great because they're not the Cura uh, tally snaps as such. They're actually they're proper photos. I mean, mm. they not, weren't necessarily taken during production itself. There's, there's a lot of them are, are behind the scenes. Uh, aren't they? Yes, with people and Daleks getting their tops removed and things like that. Look, lest, just as we move on, lest we forget that I found those power clips uh, about ooh, 23 years ago now. So uh, there's your link between me and Power of the Daleks repeated once again on this very podcast. I didn't know that, Rob. No. You know, I don't think anyone really knows, and I don't know that I've talked about it because I am a shy, retiring violet about this sort of thing, but mm. um, I had a tiny... It's Look, it's minuscule, mate. Uh, you know, I, Granted, I appeared on... The Ice Warriors Missing Episode documentary, and uh, my name has been in lights several times about this. But, you know, not many people know that I helped find those power clips. Uh, Steve Roberts, he just made a phone call. I mean, granted, I made a phone call, but I made the phone call, didn't I, Steve? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, no, a little thing. Rob, this is your equivalent of the eye patch gag from Doctor Who Conventions, isn't it? And they all turn around, <laughs> and I found the power clips, but Steve Roberts made the call. And uh, later this year, people will be seeing uh, or reading more about a certain eye patch, uh, but uh, let's not uh, make any premature announcements. Ooh. Ooh stay tuned. <laughs> let's move on to the next article, Mark. So the next uh, uh, article in... Uh, and remember, DWB was basically a tabloid magazine with pretensions of being something a bit better. But uh, so there were lots and lots of these articles uh, through the through most of the early nineties up until the realization of the TV movie. So keep in mind that there's you know this is probably one of the first times they've covered this. But and this article is headed. It will be a few months before a decision, which is a quote from well Peter Cregeen. But 
Here we go. In a letter to prospective independent Doctor Who producer Jerry Davis, who, as we know, was Troughton's uh, script editor for some of his era, uh, in early April, BBC One head of series Peter Cregeen stated that, quote, it will be a few months before a decision, unquote, regarding the series' future is made. With an announcement promised by the end of April, it would appear that the BBC are going back against their word. Indeed, more and more people are speculating whether their continued stalling is the BBC's new method of winding down the series altogether but avoiding the massive outcry that occurred last time they attempted to axe the series in 1985. We all remember the day of action the DWB ginned up, don't we, Mark? We'll get to that uh, in a future episode. (laughs) Carrying on. Uh, Whatever the case, it can be assumed that Doctor Who is on another hiatus, at least as durable as that of 85-86 and possibly a lot longer. You don't know the half of it, boys. Uh, As Barry Letts observed in DWM 160, quote, I know that the BBC don't intend to drop it completely, and I've heard that from the horse's mouth. Peter Cregeen told me it was time for one of its periodic rests, though this is in fact only its second. They've said they won't do another season until they've discussed the situation and come up with an answer. Going over to independent production is just one of the options they can take. As I said before, Mark, this is probably one of the very first articles that covered at length, well, covered... The prospect of Doctor Who coming back. I mean, it would be, if it wasn't Jerry Davis and Terry Nation, it would be uh, Verity Lambert or it would be... Victor Pemberton as well. Yeah. Or Coast to Coast with the movie. I mean, there were, there's a plethora of these. And of course, the, it wasn't just limited to DWB. This became a, a staple of the UK tabloids. I remember one morning, because I used to work at a news agency, and we'd get the the Daily Mail for the, the old fogies who lived in the suburb that I, <laughs> I worked at. Uh, and there was something about, I don't know, Michael Palin or Eric Idle some nonsense about them you know being cast in the coast to coast movie it was just a staple now the article actually goes under subheading here catch 22 situation which is related to the above uh, it is unfortunate that all we can do at the moment is speculate as to doctor who's future and didn't dwb speculate hard another theory regarding the delay is that the bbc find themselves in a catch 22 situation they don't want to spend the resources on producing longer seasons of the series themselves Yet, at the same time, don't wish to sign over a proportion of the income the series makes in marketing sales, which any incoming independent production company would be sure to demand. Jerry Davis has secured studio space from a well-known Canadian production company at a nominal rent. If successful, former top writers and directors from the show's past would be employed to spearhead Doctor Who's revival. Including John Nathan Turner? (laughs) Uh, Uh, No. Well, he was a bit hard up for employment at that point, wasn't he? Other than producing a, uh, some of the the, the videos, uh, the 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 years videos, I think J and T was doing yeah. at that time. What did you think about the whole Jerry Davis? Did he he did pair up with Terry Nation later, didn't he? Yeah. And then both of them decided to die within about a year of each other. So no, Jerry Davis uh, died nineteen ninety one, and then Terry Nation died, I think, in the early two thousands. But uh, look, it was all very fanciful. The BBC had no intention of bringing it back, uh, no. especially not on. Cregeen's watch. I think it mentioned before about it's time for its periodic rests, although the rest did go for a, a lot longer than what uh, anybody thought, to be perfectly honest. I think people, if you were a fan of Doctor Who back then, uh, the, the rest was a very long time. You just sort of, you know, you these, these sort of articles gave uh, a lot of hope to, you know, diehard fans, especially like me. Mm. And the seven years between 89 and 96 was a, was a very long time. Very long time. It certainly felt like a very long time all those years ago. A little, uh, I suppose, snippet of something here. It says, A few weeks ago, John Pertwee, Tom Baker and Sylvester McCoy turned up at a recording studio to work on the same TV commercial, at least according to Tom Baker at a recent US convention. All will be revealed next issue. I had a look at next issue and nothing was revealed. Was that the um, the car ad that they did? No, that car ad, I think, was done. 93, I think it was. I do remember hearing the story vaguely. 
Uh, they all went in, but I think Tom got the job because he's got such a, a very wonderful voice. I'm, I'm surprised that Pip Medley on Twitter hasn't dug up the ad and, and, and repurposed it for one of his witty tweets. Well, Pip, get on it, son, because it certainly needs uh, dragging up. All right, Mark. Now, should I move on to the next article, which involves telecomic Les Dennis? Now, this is where we're really going into salacious territory, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> And with all the subheadings as well, this is from the Sun, isn't it, Rob? It was uh, it was repurposed in DWB, but it was uh, originally reported in the Sun. Yes, it says uh, top telly comic Les Dennis. Interesting, uh, has ditched his missus for Doctor Who stunner Sophie Aldred. It was revealed last night. Funny man Les has denied in bold letters uh, another woman was involved when he walked out with his wife Lynn three weeks ago but now close friends admit Les is besotted with the with the actress and his 14 year old marriage looks doomed uh, there's another subheading it says curvy as only the son can subhead it, uh, edit <laughs> Les 34 fell for bubbly Sophie the TV uh, Time Lord psychic ace when they appeared together in a panto uh, late last Christmas uh, he played buttons to her Cinderella, uh, but love struck Les turned on the Prince Charming act to woo his curvy co-star. A close pal said, who of course uh, doesn't give his identity, say they <laughs> fell for each other from day one. There you go. Do you know what, Mark? What? Actors have private lives. Actors, you know, they, they just have a life, don't they, outside of the TV box? Until Murdoch gets his hand on it, yes. Is any of this actually true? Do we know that um, Les Dennis left his wife for a fling with Sophie Aldrich? I think so. I'm not too sure. But I'm not passing judgment on either of them. I mean, you know, if you want to do that sort of thing, do that sort of thing. I, I have no problem with it. But is it even true? I mean, I had a note next to this article to say, check Wikipedia, because we all know that Wikipedia is the source of every truthful comment. No, it is true, because apparently in his autobiography, the book recounts how he cheated on his first wife with actor Sophie Aldred, who played Doctor Who assistant Ace, ah. and how he nervously wet his trousers before his first rehearsal for extras. Well, look, you know, everyone has a private life and good on them for enjoying this. So fair enough. I have a saying though, never put your meat where you get your bread from. Well, let's just move swiftly away from that and the potential lawyers, Mark. So, W.H. Allen, go on, Mark. Uh, and this one is Hugh News, written by Peter Darville Evans. Oh, yeah. So, following the recent weeks of rumour and uncertainty, I can now make the following announcement. W.H. Allen, this is in all capital letters, will continue its program of publishing books based on the BBC series Doctor Who. I'm sorry if this comes across as something of, a, of an anticlimax, writes Peter. But it is certainly good news, both for W.H. Allen and for Doctor Who Publishing. The 1990 schedule has been altered a little. It now looks like this. In April, May, Remembrance of the Daleks by Ben Aronovich, which I'll always argue is the template for the new adventures. Uh, June, July, that classic Mission to Magnus by Philip Martin. Jesus Christ. <laughs> August sees Battlefield by, again, Ben Aronovich. That it wasn't in the end, was it? Because it was done by Mark Platt. I mean, those 50,000 words, they do, look, take it from me, it is a hard slog sometimes. Um, Ben Aronovich is a best-selling author now, isn't he? Was it Rivers of London or something? Yes, the Rivers of London mm. series. I didn't wasn't a big fan of the first book and never read the subsequent ones, but he's he's gotten awards for you know for for sales and all that sort of thing in the last year. So congratulations to Ben, and I sincerely mean that. Twenty five glorious years by uh, paperback edition by Peter Haining. Mm. There's one here, Mark. It says four eight new editions. These are the start of the Blue Spine reprints that uh, oh. came out in the uh, early to mid nineties, which are now worth a ton of money. Are they? 
I'll have to go through my collection. I've been looking for a second-hand copy of uh, Tomb of the Cybermen because I like the the cover of that. How much, Mark? It's about 50 bucks so far. Uh, is that 50 bucks Australian? Australian, and shipping is $23. Holy moly. There's uh, Ghostlight, again, uh, is coming out in September. The paperback uh, Cybermen, which I think is the... Um, David Banks one. Excellent. Uh, October comes, uh, sees uh, The Curse of Fenric by Ian Briggs. Uh, Survival uh, by Rona Munro, who's managed to straddle the new classic series and the new series. And uh, The Pescatons by one Victor Pemberton. Which is an absolute turd of a book. Yes, is it as good as or bad as Mission to Magnus, Mark? Oh, on par. On par. I'll have to go back and read them, but uh, even though I have plenty of free time, I don't think I want to go back and read them. And the article concludes with, At the end of 1919, however, the target range will be as complete as it can possibly be. We'll just dial forward 30 years. And uh, (laughs) I think it it is complete now, isn't it, Mark? I think it is, yes. I think it is with revelation and uh, resurrection, Mark. But let's not dwell on the quality or... Lack thereof of both of those. Have you read them? I don't have them, but I should uh, purchase them uh, now that I'm rolling in overtime money. Um, <laughs> you can yeah. buy mine if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk off mic, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> All right. Uh, a little bit uh, punch drunk here, but uh, collectors <laughs> need not despair, however. We will pursue a policy of selective reprinting as well as publishing new editions of the selected old novelizations. This process will start with the August 1990 new editions, which will be a selection of the stories being released this year on BBC Video, and coincidentally, being screened this year on BSB. Other books for 1991 and beyond will go ahead as previously announced. I am also continuing to prepare the groundwork for original Doctor Who fiction. I would have said that this actual paragraph should have been at the start of the article, but anyway... John Nathan Turner and I have been swapping ideas about the structure of original novels, ideas that are converging very harmoniously and that will eventually produce a written framework within which authors can work freely. The message for prospective Doctor Who novelists is please continue to be patient. I'm looking at you, Paul. Mr. Cornell. I remember picking up Cornell's book and really, really enjoying it. I'm not quite sure what it's like now, 30 years later, but um, you know what? I think he actually change the shape of what the new adventures were going to be. I think, I mean, a lot of it is cod psychology, Jungian nonsense, but um, I think the idea of giving the Doctor an interior life uh, and sort of, you know, a pained existence, perhaps, a lot of that comes from Cornell. Maybe I'm talking through the Jim Beam, but um, (laughs) yes. But I also point out that there were guidelines available with... Publishers generally, and for very good reasons, do not have uh, an open uh, submission policy because a lot of crap comes through and they get drowned. And I underscore that by um, there's a publisher, Black Library, who does the Warhammer uh, fantasy and 40k uh, fiction, who over the last few years have had submissions for people, and they've got tens of well, not tens of thousands, but thousands and thousands of submissions. Even Big Finish, who recently had an open submission policy, like got like 1,500. Uh, submissions, which is just an enormous amount of applicants and a drain on resources. So for Virgin to, um, you know, have an open submission policy was hats off to them for the the slog that they had to go through to get to the good stuff. And there were guidelines that were were readily available, of which I picked up a copy in the early nineties and have them in a box somewhere. Um, but yeah, so the the Virgin uh, New Adventures and Missing Adventures, they they they're. they're uh, their breeding ground was basically about this time of uh, 1990. Let's go to a couple of letters. That would, uh, let's just see what was on the fandom's mind back then. This mm. is from uh, Kenneth Horlock in Kent. Uh, hello, Kenneth. Hope you're well. Uh, it was written on the 15th of the 3rd, 1990. What were you doing on the 15th of the 3rd, 1990, Rob? I'd moved down to Melbourne to live on campus at one of 
the less august universities of this fair city, and uh, I was um, I was actually a bit homesick, which surprised oh. me at the time. But no, it's all right, Mark. You know, you know so runny, so runny. I was I was living on a floor with uh, there's a girl um, in the room next to me who who had many male gentlemen visitors, <laughs> many, 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 many visitors. <laughs> Uh, so good luck to her. Very very thin walls were there, Rob. Oh no, they're double brick. But uh, there was only there was a, a locked door, and I had that door firmly locked, and something shoved under the door handle to make sure she didn't, didn't stray if she got lonely. Wasn't the webcam, was it, Rob? Uh, no, 1990s, mate, Mark. There was no webcams. Oh dear. The, uh, internet pornography came in the shape of Penthouse and Playboy. So let's go back to Kenneth, shall we? Uh, well, all the newspapers are now full of the probable chop for Sylvester McCoy. I can't say I'll be too sorry to see him go myself. I found his portrayal of the Doctor unconvincing and often irritating and sometimes embarrassing to watch. The best example of this was in Battlefield Part 4 where he was trying to talk Melgain out of the nuclear strike. That speech should have made his Doctor and yet his seemingly inability to act forcibly without putting on a silly voice made the scene look ridiculous. I've tended previously to sit on the fence over him but that scene made up my mind for me. For the new Doctor, how about Ian Hogg? I spent much of Ghostlight musing over him as a Doctor with Catherine Schlesinger as his companion. And the next letter is Neil Hutchings, also from Kent. Maybe Kenneth and Kent and Neil were neighbours. Neil writes, on the 26th of February 1990. Ooh, we've gone back in time there. I, I disagree with Jeremy Bentham's prediction that video rental stores will become obsolete as a result of the sell-through market. I'm quite sure that any sensible person would wish to own only a fraction of the video films he is ever likely to enjoy watching. Without the choice of renting, I am hardly likely to have shelves bulging with sell-through tapes at $9.99 a throw. I'm now thinking twice before buying BBC Video Doctor Who releases, considering the latest extravaganza of possibly the most boring television ever made. Who picks these stories? Surely 10 episodes of the, uh, he's meant to say the War Games, but it's the Yawn Games. Clever. Two pounds each, yeah, very clever, is stretching nostalgia value just a little too far. I hope the BSB promise is fulfilled, and if so, BBC Video can keep their patchily duplicated, poorly chosen rip-offs and stick them up their enterprising noses. A lot of anger there, Neil. I hope you've had a lie down, mate, and just a good relax. At least they didn't use the word ass at the end of it. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, Bentham obviously was Nostradamus because uh, video rental stores uh, have become obsolete. Yes. I was sort of saying to a number of people, you know, with this corona sweeping the world, mm. imagine if it was like 10 years ago when most of us were on dial-up and things like that, it would have been horrific uh, in terms of uh, attempting to even work from home or anything like that. Yes, if you think things are bad now, it would have been terrible 10 years ago in terms of employment numbers or unemployment numbers. The video store is uh, alas no more. Uh, Tapes, yeah, I had a lot of sell-through tapes, but then I did manage to on-sell those, luckily. Doctor Who DVDs are harder to shift, though. I'm obviously upgrading the Blu-ray and and trying to shift them off, but... Mm. uh, the, the local place where I usually send, sell my DVDs is uh, he, he's not taking any more stock at the moment due to corona. There's only so many drink coasters that you can have, mate, so, yeah. This is from DWB issue 78 in June 1990. Now, I remember on our uh, the, the final end episode, we uh, we mentioned that Mr. Ainley, or Anthony Ainley, had got into a bit of uh, deep poo-poo over dissing uh, an invite to convention. This is an editorial that DWB have put together. So really, this is hard-edged stuff. So strap yourself in. You got a gym bean ready, mate? I've drank it already, mate. Oh, God. Okay, right. (laughs) It says, The recent Anthony Ainley coverage has stirred up rather a hornet's nest. DWB felt it was right to report 
that this infamous letter to warn anyone in this country who might be foolish enough to invite Mr. Ainley to a uh, convention or local group meeting. It was not intended to be controversial, but to highlight a growing trend in recent years of a very small minority of stars who feel they are almighty enough to be downright rude to their fans. Some even openly exploit their fans, such as a lady at Panopticon three years ago who displayed such aloofness and disinterest on her panel that they then had the audacity to charge people quite a substantial amount afterwards for a signed autograph. These stars should be reminded who got them where they are in the first place and that as they are themselves expect to be, so they should respect their fans. Incidentally, the North Wales Convention informed us that they did offer for Mr Ainley 50 quid plus expenses for just one to two hours work. Uh, interesting that they mentioned a lady whose aloofness and disinterest at her panel. Hmm. I wonder who that could be, Mark. Was there, if there's anyone out there who was uh, attending a, a convention three years prior to this letter from 1990, would uh, like to just message us as to who that uh, actress was. I have one name in my head. I have one as well. If you go to book Mr. Ainley, uh, make sure it's more than 50 quid. And make sure he's alive because he's very much not. He might charge you for a seance these days. <laughs> I will say that DWB had uh, an interesting... The font that this article is written in is a real pain in the backside to read. It's uh, it's quasi-italics, but um, yeah, uh, you know, you know, it's not professional publishing as such. But yeah. It's file 7.8, I think, in type, Ooh. I think. But uh, Could, uh... <laughs> even in this article here, that they're still complaining about uh, the vast amounts of money being charged for signed autographs, which... Uh, I'm happy to say, continues to this day. And vastly even more inflated, Mark. Uh, give, uh, not in line with the increase in, in inflation over the last 30 years, I'd suggest as well. Their uh, convention income will be taking a bit of a hammering at the moment due to recent events, wouldn't it? Actually, there's a bit of a move on. Uh, I've seen with a couple of horror uh, writers' conventions in the States, they've uh, obviously, you know, you, no one's turning up physically, but uh, they've been streamed online. So uh, you can't get a signing and uh, anything signed, and uh, they're all done for free. So well, a number of writers are taking a hit to their bottom line, but there you go. Well done. Now, the next one, Mark, I turn the page and my notes next to this just say with an arrow pointing towards Sophie, who's just looking sultry, mm. a little bit sultry. And it just says 90s hot, Mark, with exclamation mark. <laughs> There's a picture here. Look, the, 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 the paragraph underneath it says, so Sophie's at a signing. It's an Absalom DAC uh, signing at a uh, at center point. I don't know what that is. It's a, a shop. Anyway, by far, the largest request we receive from readers are for Sophie Aldred picks. Two events recently provided excellent photo opportunities. Marvel's Absalon Dak uh, sign-in at uh, Centerpoint on April 28th, also attended by Sylvester McCoy, and March's successful Time Lord 89, which saw her teamed up at one point with Tom Baker. What a team, in brackets. And, uh, yeah, Sophie's just, you know, she's relaxed. She's just got a, you know, a hand under her chin and uh, looking at a cameraman going, why can't I be home with my feet up? Why can't I be home with Les? Oh, yes. And uh, a lovely photo from a lovely young lady. And, uh, yeah, Sophie Aldred, folks. 90s hot. It just sounds a bit pervy, <laughs> doesn't it? By far the largest request we've received is from Sophie Aldred picks. <laughs> Let's don't go down that dark path, Mark. Do not go down that dark path. A bit like my Samantha Fox post <sighs> you have behind my bedroom. Did you have that up on the wall, Mark? On the back of my door and covered in laminate. <laughs> Can we let's just go away from this topic, please, God? How did your mother cope, Mark? 
Let's go to this next bit, shall we? Fan campaign ruled out. At this stage, campaigning by the fans is uncalled for as negotiations for the series future continues. The series future appears secure at present. <laughs> oh, sorry. Although, obviously, if the present stalling gives signs of lasting indefinitely, clearly some action will need to be taken to get the wheels back in motion. Typical DWB having it both ways. It's the calm before the storm. It's saying, we'll see how it goes. All right. What's the next one, Mark? It says, Cinema Verity, hot favourites for Independent Who production. For the first time in months, the future of Doctor Who is starting to look very promising indeed. Jesus. Oh, here we go again. At the beginning of June, CFAX, the BBC's teletext service, that was before internet, confirmed that from now on the series will be made by an independent producer and that further news will be made available once known. Official is a subheading. Uh, this story was also covered on ITV's own Oracle service. Just call it ORAC and be done with it. <laughs> the coverage on the BBC's teletext service is an indication that an official announcement will be made, the date now being set for the end of July. Well, can't wait for that. Uh, furthermore, it is now known that BBC Enterprises have abandoned any plans for Coast to Coast to produce the series since the film is no further to being realised than it was in 1987, when it was first revealed that the company had bought the screen rights to the series. Hinchcliffe Input. The focus now is on Peter Crugine's favourite choice, Cinema Verite, run by original Doctor Who producer Verity Lambert. Uh, another popular ex-producer, Philip Hinchcliffe, is employed by the company. While Verity Lambert herself will neither confirm or deny the situation, it is believed that the continued stalling is a result of the BBC and Cinema Verite ironing out the small print of the former's terms for Doctor Who's independent production. Initially, Cinema Verite withdrew their bid after the BBC insisted that Sylvester McCoy would be part of the package, which uh, the incoming company would inherit. But since then, the pressure from various companies has forced the BBC to review this uh, situation to the point where it is now common knowledge that Sylvester McCoy is unlikely to return to the role, as indeed the actor has suggested. Hopefully an agreement of terms between the BBC and whoever is eventually assigned to produce Doctor Who has now been reached, enabling an announcement to be made, this time on schedule. Wah, wah. Well, we all know that that didn't occur, but it's interesting that uh, at that point the BBC realised that as as uh, RTD did uh, a decade or more uh, after that, that you really can't have the previous incumbent uh, come back to any sort of relaunch. You you, you need to want to have to uh, have uh, a new blood, completely new blood throughout the whole process. You know, I used to read this stuff with uh, with a due sense of optimism. Now you're just going back and reading these, this is going, oh my goodness me, just clutching at straws. It is clutching at straws. A couple more tidbits on the side column here, Rob. It mm-hmm. said, Anthony Stephen, the author of Colin Baker's heavily re-edited debut adventure, The Twin Dilemma, passed away in May. So instead of actually saying, you know, he was the author of Colin Baker's debut, they just put the words heavily re-edited, really. It's a bit of a backhand. Uh, it's, not, it's not a nice way to describe someone who's just passed away. So Now, speaking of passing away, unfortunately, uh, Chris Barry, David Maloney, Eric Sayward, Nicholas Courtney, Janet Fielding, Ian Levine and Val McCrimmon were among the mourners at the funeral of Peter Grimwade, who passed away in May, uh, which is a bit of a shame, actually. Now, in this uh, issue, there was also an uh, interview with Mr. Grimwade. It was called The Final Interview. And I'll just read you some of the sort of more pertinent points to this interview. Please. Was it Tom's decision to leave the program? I really don't know. I think maybe Tom had enough by then. Whether he was nudged a little bit, who's to say? I think BBC producers are quite often frightened by very charismatic actors, so perhaps the feeling on John Nathan Turner's part was that life would be easier if Tom 
was to leave. Would you have liked to have been invited to do the sequel to Snake Dance? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> he says he returned for uh, Time Flight, but this time as a writer. Not many people seem to like this story very much, with some even commenting that the sets move more than the actors. What would you say to that? Well, hmm, I think Time Flight turned out uh, very substandard, really. Quite why, I really don't know. It's just one of those things. <laughs> Mordred Undead in the following season was your next script and saw the, big, the return of the Brigadiers. Were you keen to feature elements from the Doctor's past in your story? In fact, the Brigadier wasn't the first candidate for a return visit. It was I was hoping for Ian Chesterton, one of the original companions, hence the schoolboy setting. But at the time, Nick was the only one free for filming. And yes, I'm very keen on bringing back people from the past. I mean, there is such a vast wealth of, of talent to draw on. Planet of Fire was filmed in Lanzarote. Was it really necessary, though, to spend all that money on location? Absolutely bloody not. I think it was just an excuse for the producer to take his team on a gangbang and a nice holiday. Does gangbang in the 90s have a different connotation to what it does today, Mark? Or am I just completely innocent? It was the same connotation throughout the ages, to be honest. (laughs) Now, the interview, unfortunately, uh, concludes with this. It goes, sadly, uh, Peter Grimway died seven and a half weeks after this interview. Due to the short amount of time available, the interview was to have continued at a later date, we would have talked about the infamous uh, Morgan Undead continuity blunder, the uh, return of the director for Warhead, aka the Resurrection of the Daleks. Unfortunately for us, his accounts must remain unanswered, but someone somewhere will be able to sleep soundly at night. Mm-hmm. And given it earlier mentions uh, his work as a uh, writer for the ITV, ITV play The Comeuppance of Captain Cat. Mm-hmm. I think that person who sl- who was uh, hopefully sleeping soundly was one John Nathan Turner. Sleeping soundly next to Gary. Did you ever watch the, the Canuppance of Captain Cat? I believe I have a copy somewhere. Uh, Not very good. No, from memory. No, no. Morgan Undead. Would you have liked to have seen Ian Chester in, in it instead of uh, the brig? Yes, I think so. I think it would have been a real thrill to see someone from you know the very early days, the start of the series, come back. I think it, a better fit for the story and for the character of the Brigadier if he wasn't a maths teacher. But uh, look... I'm happy that uh, Nicholas Courtney came back to the to the role. It, um, it was a lovely little performance. So, yeah, happy with that. Mm. I think I've just had it both ways. Um, Ian Chesterton, yes. Nick, not necessarily. But, yeah. They were going to see if Ian Marta would have done it as well. So I think uh, Nick the last choice. Ian Marta was dead by that stage, though. No, he wasn't. He died in 86. Oh, I thought it was 82. Oh, okay. I got that wrong. Yeah, I think he was in a play or something in New Zealand. Nick, so, obviously, they couldn't get him. So, mm. uh, yeah, there, there you, you go. go. All right. That's enough of that dragging, I think, through. Um, try and get through the early 1990s as quick as we can because um, we need to uh, find out what happened at J&T's last farewell party, don't we, Rob? Yes, uh, we'll just leave that dangling to whet the listener's appetite for a future episode. Like John did. <laughs> Rob, when are we going to come back next? Sometime in the near future, a little bit earlier. Uh, more frequently, I think, that uh, now that I've moved and settled in and uh, you are, you know, gainfully unemployed, <laughs> which is a bit... Um, look, I'm really... I'm actually upset for you, Mark, because it's just, you know, the industry that you're in was basically killed within, you know, a week or so. So <laughs> it's just remarkable. <laughs> Living through the Donald Trump, the volume of news and nonsense that sweeps around, it does tend... I mean, the, the trope that people sort of trot out is that last week was a very long year in my life um it's just amazing how quickly time has sort of gone since the coronavirus blew up 
I mean, you know, it was late last year that it sort of emerged, but in the West, it's just remarkable. So, and I don't know, you know, time because I've just been working overtime for the last three weeks straight. So I've lost track of everything, but uh, the world is just moving ahead at a pace. And uh, look, hopefully everyone out there is staying safe and, 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 and just, you know, being normal and a bit more tolerant of uh, of circumstances and situations and lockdowns and uh, is not jumping onto Twitter and looking at idiot Republican supporters uh, rampaging oh, around there. Oh, my God. Uh, that's yeah. my one political comment that I don't usually make them for a very good reason, but... Uh, Coronavirus took our jobs! Yeah, so I hope everyone uh, has enjoyed the episode. I hope everyone's staying safe. Happy days will eventually return. We look forward to coming back again, don't we, Mark? Absolutely right. We are planning our next episode, so hopefully that'll be out. Who knows, given what's going on with our isolation yes, and things yes. like that but um yeah we, we are definitely planning it but uh, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun and we'll do a few more drag for the archives as well why not because um during the year as well once again thank you very much for tuning into the latest episode of the 42 to doomsday podcast i hope my rant at the start didn't turn anyone off all a bit of fun isn't it phil morris it is all fun isn't it mate phil is that you, Phil? Would you like to answer a direct question, please, Phil? Why the hat? Because I'm the Indiana Jones, mate. And there you have it, people, an exclusive interview with Phil Morris. <laughs> All right, I've been Rob. And I've been Mark. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with with you again soon.